Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are my pals, Zach and Vince. Boys, we are here to talk about this month in death metal, and we're going to begin with a, uh, a pretty in-depth discussion of death metal number four, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by our pal, the heavy metal dude himself, Greg Capullo. Before we get into the actual um, discussion of this issue, it's becoming pretty clear that death metal, if you just read the death metal like one through seven, you're missing out on a gigantic part of the story. Um, do you think that there's any sense to be made if you went from issue three right to this issue? Would you know what was going on? Or did those three uh, September one shots really, are those three September one shots really necessary for understanding the event? I mean, you are you are missing a lot, but like understanding it, I, I think you can. I mean, it's not rocket science or anything like that. Although I do think there's an early page that we'll get to when we talk about this that sums up the 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 three like interstitial tie-ins that came between issue three and four. And uh, frankly, I'm surprised there wasn't more of that in this issue they kind of left it to one page. And um, I think, you know, when we talked about those series or those one shots, I mean, I think we expected there to be more, more of that in issue four and there really wasn't. So, so you do miss quite a bit, but I, I think it'd, it'd be pretty easy to just go, I, Oh, okay. The green lanterns are here. The flashes are here and et cetera. Yeah, you say that, but I also think there is a lot in this issue that's not, it's not necessarily rehashing things from those one shots, but like you get to the pages after the, like the begin countdown page and like there's a page that is technically after speed metal, but it's, it's the exact same thing. You get a, you get the whole thing from Robin King and everybody who is underground, you get that Again, it's taking place after the events of that issue, but it's essentially the same stuff that was happening in that issue. Yeah. Um, you hit a lot of similar story beats, so it, it feels very similar to stuff in those issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I, I feel like it's walking this weird line between you definitely need to read the tie-ins and there's probably enough information. I just feel like we meet like the three we we meet the trinity you know in, in media rest in these like fucked up versions of the crises and i feel like if you didn't if you don't remember exactly what happened at the end of an issue 2 months ago you may not remember why they're there whereas yeah. that other issue walks you all the way through that you know i i do think if you're skipping some of the one shots you're missing out on some of the best stuff in this event though yes oh, yeah. yes um I would say that two of the three from last month were really good, right? Yeah. And I'd say that one of the two from this month are very, is very good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, with the benefit of hindsight being what it is, I, I think it, it's kind of a relief that like this this is an event where you can really like pick and choose what you're interested in following because i i feel like 
if you're not interested in the Justice League team that is in the Justice League book that's being written by Williamson right now to tie in, you can probably completely skip that stuff and be fine. And if you are already sick of the Robin King, you can skip the Robin King. And like you will get enough of that in the main event. And I think like you know, I'm like this and a lot of comic fans are that they feel like they need to read everything or like that they are missing something if they don't. But I, I really think they did a good job with this event where if there's a particular aspect of the event you don't care for, you don't have to read that part and, and you won't miss anything so crucial that you can't pick it up in the main series. Like if you skip, honestly, skip any of the Robin King stuff, he's going to show up already too much in the main event. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. Um, because I, I was just thinking today about how I think that this is one of the best events that DC has done in a really long time in terms of, um, accessibility and just like how, how relatively inexpensive it is and how, how tight it is. And even within like how tight it is, like how modular it is, um, in that, like you were saying, you can, you can totally skip several of the one shots. You can really skip all the one shots and you can just get the ones that you want or are, that sound interesting to you and they will add to um your enjoyment like i have been thinking about like kind of looking back on all of the one shots that have come out and and have been imagining like okay if i were to do a death metal collection this is how i would do it and it would be it would be incredible (laughs) so it would be it would be just the stuff tinyan wrote yeah it would be yeah it would be just the stuff that tinyan wrote and then i think um I mean, I would do all three of those, you know, the one shots from last month. I think that they're all good in their own ways. It would be the Rise of the New God. And I would even throw in the guidebook for good measure because I think that was pretty fun and good. But definitely cut the um, the Legends of the Dark Knight anthology, cut Robin King, uh, and... I think that's everything. Yeah, I could do without Justice League. Um, and it and it would be fine. It would be great for me and a really fun reading experience. And I think that's like a really fun thing about this event. Um, because like, I don't know, maybe you really like Robin King and you want to throw that in there. Go wild. Yeah, I mean, there are sickos out there that... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I am one of those sickos. I, I feel like if I were to collect this, I would have to do everything... Because I would, I would worry that I am going to one day reconsider the merits of the Robin King one shot, no. even though I know I never will. You know, it's just, that's just how it goes. But anyway, let's get into this issue, Vincey. You're gonna take us through this. Yeah. Okay. So, um, it starts off with one of those um, bookends with Sergeant Rock, um, a very decayed Sergeant Rock. Um, basically still giving a pep talk to the reader about, you know, getting, getting through this, getting through the shit or whatever. Um, what do you guys think of these? He's almost like the, like a, like the Greek chorus of the story or whatever you want to say. Um, I, I kind of like it. Like, I don't think, you know, it's, it's one or two pages here and there. I don't think it's overstated. It's welcome. And I think like, I don't be. By now, it's it's enough of a thing that I expect to see it, and it, it's kind of it kind of 
It's like dipping your toe into a warm bath or something. I like it. Zach, what do you think? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really like it, and I like it for this reason. I feel like this is Snyder's, like, Snyder is telling us it's all going to be okay. Because the event is so dark in a lot of ways. It's not It's not grim dark, right? But, like, everything keeps going wrong for our heroes here. And I feel like Rock is the reminder, that, like, this is comics, this is fun, everything will be fine in the end, don't worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm liking it. Okay, so then on the next page, you get that recap um, of those three tie-in issues, the Trinity Crisis, um, Speed Metal, and Multiverse's End. Although, like, it's v- it's very brief. Um, in fact, they don't really even spend much time on Multiverse's End at all. You see, like, you see the Green Lanterns who played a role in that issue, but, like, they don't really he doesn't really explain all that stuff on this page. It's just telling you to go check out those uh issues if you missed some stuff and it and it does kind of tell you where everybody is. Um so then the, the page after that, you get your requisite um death metal map of uh, the metalverse, the bat-shaped, the earth has gone bat-shaped. Um after that, we're in Crisis on Infinite Earths again with Bruce and uh, and an Alfred box. <laughs> and um, I really love we, that term, by the way. I, I know that's not new to this issue, but the more I think about the term Alfred box, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's again, it's just like the goofy, the 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 goofy nature of of death metal that just happens to work against all odds. I think. Um. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. Um, so we see Bruce talking to uh, this this alternate version of the Anti Monitor um, that doesn't look like the Anti Monitor that we've we've come to expect uh, in this t- sort of twisted version of of the Crisis. And uh, the Anti Monitor is claiming that this is the real Mobius. Um, but of course, all of the all of the people in these uh, crises are assuring our heroes that these are the actual versions of of what should have happened. You know, I think that's just their villain's gambit. Um, on the next page, we get the final crisis where uh, Clark ended up, and um, you've got this strange, tusked version of Darkseid saying that you know, make no mistake, this is. This is very real. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just it's it's trying to tell the reader like like, no, this is for real, because then because then you get to the um, the infinite crisis a couple pages later with Superboy Prime and he and he's talking about how, you know, I'm I am the actual Superboy Prime or whatever. And I think like that's funny because did, did you guys. Um, did you guys see the stuff when Jeff Johns brought Superboy Prime back to Shazam? And did you see like people were asking Scott Scott Snyder whether his Superboy Prime was real or not? And he was like, he was like, no, mine is definitely the real one. <laughs> no, so I actually think this is the real Superboy Prime, though. Like, for no, it real, is, for it real. Is, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. 
yeah, all I'm all I'm saying is it's very funny that that situation happened, you know? Okay, I see I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny because like those two, the the anti-monitor and dark side are not the real versions. But but this Superboy Prime is real. Right. And I I meant to check this because this is like a bit of continuity that I'm pretty amazed that I mean, I guess I shouldn't be amazed because there are so few um Superboy Prime appearances. Um, but the last time that we see Superboy Prime pre-Flashpoint, do you guys know where it is? Was it in that, um, wasn't there a, a Blackest Night issue? So there was that, but that wasn't the last time. I don't think I do remember. That I don't. Um, so our, our boy... Uh, JT Crawl <laughs> finished out the run of Teen Titans that had started, you know, with Jeff Johns. Yes. And he made it to issue 100. And the last arc featured Superboy Prime as the villain. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm just double checking right now. I'm pretty positive. Are you pulling out your bound edition of the JT Crow no, Titans? No, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm looking on. I'm looking on DC Universe. Superboy Prime got sealed into the Source Wall at the end of Teen Titans, mm. and this talks about how when he was the Source freed, Wall broke, yeah. he was yeah. freed, which just blows my mind. It shouldn't, but it does. <laughs> What what poor editor had to go and figure out where Superboy Prime was? <laughs> you know, there's no because there's no way Snyder read that. <laughs> we say that oh, all the time. No. I guarantee that that Snyder did read it. Guarantee. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm sure he did. But like that is the perfect job for an editor to be like. Uh huh. That's the perfect right, job. I... For me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For you? Yeah, that's my job. DC hire us. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I'll I'd I'd work for nothing. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like for Vince, he would be like the golden age archivist because he's read all those books. <laughs> like, you know, what's uh, what's the first appearance of uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some obscure shitty character, and Vince will look that up, and then um. Zach will be all of the like pre Flashpoint and New Fifty Two stuff. He knows how many issues every New Fifty Two series was. <laughs> that comes in very handy in this job, and I'm just being paid to read Starman and Jack off in my office. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, do, they would just have to let me live in their basement and <laughs> there being Warner Brothers, AT and T. Who are we talking about here? Yeah, yeah, okay. the, yeah. The basement yeah, of AT and T. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be the Milton Bottoms of <laughs> DC Comics. I thought you were going to say uh, Chris Elliott when he lived under the stairs at uh, late night. Yeah, yeah, that, well, that too. That's the same thing, same yeah. concept. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, um, uh, so you've got Superboy Prime talking to Diana in the Internet Crisis uh, world, and uh, we have a skeletal... Alexander Luther, who has gone to the share zone. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Superboy Prime is talking about how, you know, uh, on his world, which is missing, you know, heroes were actually inspiring people and doing good, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's the typical Superboy Prime thing. Um, 
And Diana is making a pitch then that, well, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Hang on. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Superboy Prime is talking about, you know, why he's uh, playing into the Batman who laughs hands here. And it's because uh, uh, Superboy Prime went to him to get him to promise him uh, his own world that he could, because, you know, the Batman who laughs was like promising uh, worlds for people who would help him. He even promised one to the Justice League if they effectively joined joined him and let, let him do this. Um, and Diana's going to try to convince him to join her instead. So that's where we leave them for now. Then we go and we see the flashes running again. Um, just basically, I, Zach, this is probably what you were talking about, uh, how it connects to the speed metal issue. Basically explaining that they, they're they running away from the, the Darkest Night or the Batman Who Laughs and that they're, they need to get the crisis energy to Wally, who's running with them as well uh, at this point in time. Okay, then we go to the group that has Jaro and Harley Quinn and Swamp Thing. Um, and which is weird because like, I thought, I thought Swamp Thing was, had disintegrated essentially, or had become like, I, 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 I'm going to guess that the in story explanation is like, as long as there is like a tiny bit of him, he will regrow. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Like, he buried himself into the earth, and I thought that was going to be kind of his last stand in this thing. Mm-hmm. But here he is again, which you know, well, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. But yeah, and well, and we even thought Jonah Hex was dead, and he like essentially he's just a head now. Yeah, he's um, a very gruesome head, but he's still there. Um, yeah. So actually, I think he does uh, turn to dust at, at in this issue, but he he hangs on for a bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, so Harley Quinn and and uh, Swamp Thing and Jaro are are trying to escape. The Robin King in the last issue, I believe, like used that thing um, that eats dead tissue on uh, Jonah Hex, and that's that's what we thought killed him. But now he's he's following them, and he's carrying Jonah Hex's he- decrepit head with him, and uh, he he says some of his. Uh, robin king bullshit about i can't stand this character <laughs> this is uh, i'm gonna call it here this is the worst character in death metal yeah this is worse. Yeah. he's worse than the batman who laughs oh absolutely yeah, for sure like his he i guarantee though he is gonna like he's gonna be the one who kills the batman who laughs i'm gonna i'm calling it now yeah <laughs> Yes, and he'll survive into the into the next uh-huh. status quo. He, he will have the Telos miniseries of <laughs> death metal. Yes. Yes. Jesus Christ! The the one shot is already feels like reading an entire Telos miniseries. <laughs> but he's gonna but he's gonna be redeemed because he he believes in hope and and or something. Oh don't, God! Whatever. Don't, whatever don't the spoil the future conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, his his thing is that like. Now his thing in this series, which he does here, is is talk about like whatever latest gadget or whatever the way that the way that Batman would, um, whatever latest gadget he has that is like specifically designed 
to defeat one of the heroes or whatever. And now he's got a knife forged by Niren um, that he's going to use to to actually finally kill Jonah Hex, even though we thought he killed him before. <laughs> and this sets Har- I mean, really, all this is all this is doing is setting Harley off because she's um, formed some sort of a connect emotional connection with Jonah at this point. Um, and so on that level, you know, like I do like that little friendship that they formed. Um, but I felt like that had already been paid off in the last issue. Um, so then, then on the next page, he's got this hammer that he's gonna, it's the, it's apparently the hammer that Harley Quinn on his world tried to kill (laughs) him with. And he says also probably the dumbest, uh, lines of dialogue in death metal thus far across any of any or all the tie-ins about how uh his theory is that she uses a hammer to bash the truth away (laughs) because deep down she's more more evil than the joker does that make any sense at all no (laughs) that that, no no that's bad that's that is stretch that is just like uh, the secret ingredient is love. They're just they're just, <laughs> they're just really, really straining to find a way to explain this. Yeah, yeah, that's I yeah. They that one needed more time in the oven, I think. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, Jaro meanwhile is like psychically looking for Diana and and the team that went to the different crises, um. And. Because uh, I think Jaro has some connection to the Alfred boxes, and he says that he can feel them, but they don't seem to be moving. Um, don't really know where they are. They're, they're, basically, they're, they must be in some sort of limbo, which is what these crises are, um, I think, is effectively what he's saying. Okay, so then on the next page, we go back to Diana and Superboy Prime. And... Um, Superboy Prime talks about how he's helping the Batman Who Laughs and how Batman Who Laughs is going to make um, these these real and lasting worlds a world that Superboy Prime can call his home again. I mean, that's basically Superboy Prime's thing, right? Like, that's what he's been looking for since Infinite Crisis, basically. Um and yeah, and and also more about how the heroes are not really what they're supposed to be. They're not really heroic. They've been corrupted. All that good Superboy Prime stuff. I I really think his inclusion here is fun and it works well. And it's really it's injected this with the proper crisis spirit. I think. Uh, do you guys agree, Zach? I do. I do. Yeah. It's it yeah the Superboy Prime stuff is really good uh, to me. Uh, I I agree for the most part. My one and it's a really slight beef here is just that I feel like so they they Snyder shows Diana and Prime arguing and then he like he sort of flips out and the next thing we know he's with the team and I feel like that's supposed to be a triumphant moment but it just feels like it feels like we missed a page turn. In there, like, like there should have been something between him and Diana that wasn't just him going like "arg," but that's essentially what just happens, and then he's part of the he's part of the gang. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that we'll get to that. That's a couple pages from now. 
Um, but, but what I was gonna say is, like, to me, that just it, every every crisis has a moment of a character like stepping into their responsibility, and I feel like that's what this moment was supposed to be, but it just fell short. That that's my mm-hmm. only critique of the Superboy Prime stuff. Sure, I can see that. Um, so then the next page we've got uh, the this Mobius anti monitor uh, white alien creature taking taking Bruce apart in the crisis world um, and crushing his Alfred box on the final crisis world we've got um, dark side the dark side beast uh, crushing Superman's Alfred box. And saying Superman is, which I don't has that ever been done before? Is that the first time we've seen Superman is? I don't I know. I think so. Sure. I, I can't remember it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then we've got a Superboy Prime in the Infinite Crisis world holding the Alfred box in his hand and uh, beckoning to the Batman who laughs. Well, Diana starts her plea, um, and she says, "You know, you're right. We have things have changed. The world's not what it used to be. Um, the heroes have dropped the ball. Blah blah blah." Um, but Which is still... funny because it's like it's it's Infinite Crisis all over. Again. It is. Yes. That is the exact argument of Infinite Crisis. Like, um. yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not wrong. We did, you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and she says, you know, but we still we still have hope. It's the the classic like you still have to have hope thing. And she asks him to picture an infinite multiverse where, you know, there's not just fifty two worlds. There's not just the one world. There's an infinite. <laughs> Gal Gadot starts singing. Just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. Uh... <laughs> Oh, oh my, my tummy hurts, Zach. <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, she she gives Superboy Prime the pitch that Scott Snyder has essentially been talking about in in basically every interview he's done about this, which is that Diana um, sees uh, the the possibility of everything mattering, of there not just being you know, needing to be a limited number of worlds. There could, they could save everybody and everything and every infinite multiverse imaginable. Um, and, you know, Superboy Prime seems a little intrigued by that, but th- nonetheless, they are still fighting. Um, and we're seeing, again, we see all these other worlds, the other crisis worlds kind of uh, reality shattering on these other worlds. Um, Diana continues to make her plea and Superboy Prime says something like, uh, you know, like he doesn't really believe that what she's talking about is possible. Uh, Even if it was, another world could come and destroy theirs. Nothing would be safe. It would be unstable with, with that many infinite worlds or whatever. And he says it would all be some shot in the dark. And Diana says, well, isn't that what Superman is? A shot in the dark. And I like, I really like that moment. Now, I think, I agree with you, Brian, that like, it's a little clunky the way it's handled here because that her saying that 
should be the thing that triggers, and I think it is the thing that triggers Superboy Prime to change his mind, but that doesn't necessarily come across in the storytelling. And I think what they were going for is, you know, this image of Superboy Prime punching reality again. And you thinking like, oh, d- d- did he believe her or not? Did did he buy what she was saying or not? And then on the next page, it turns out he did. Right. I feel like if it came at the end of the issue, it would be more effective. Yeah. Or even just like a... It's just weird the way that it's done. I agree. Yeah, to, to me, it, it feels like it's a half measure. You're not. There's no real. You don't have time to ponder what he did because the next page you see what he did, and you don't get the resolution that I think would have been nice in that moment. Yeah, they they never have a moment where like Superboy Prime seems to be connecting with her, even though we know from from our own context that that must be the the thing that made him change his mind. Right. There's, there's nothing that really hammers that home in a satisfying way. Um, on the actual page. So yeah, that, that, that moment is a little weird, but I do, I do like what Diana says there. Like, I think that that's pretty great. Agreed. Um, so then, yeah. So then on the next page we see, uh, Diana and, Clark and Bruce and Superboy Prime emerging from the crisis worlds that are sh- kind of shattering under them. Um, and they are trying to get the crisis energy that they collected in the one Alfred box they have left to Wally. So they, f- they fly and appear to where uh, Wally is with the Mobius chair and they try to channel the crisis energy into the chair, which he is sitting in. And I, I think it's funny, again, I understand why he's sitting in this chair and he's back in his old red Flash costume. And I think it's funny because, like, we, we joked about how in Speed Metal, he, like, he got into the old, old Flash costume, like the pre- right. And now he's in the middle. Now he's in the middle flash costume. <laughs> right. And then he, then he, had, then he said, I, well, I have to go back to this bullshit in the blue again. And now he's sitting in the chair in his like rebirth costume. His but it makes costume. sense because it, it what's that? His maroon costume. Yeah, yeah. Because he it's telling you that like, oh, it didn't work. And he's saying, Well, he's sitting in the chair, I don't think it worked. And the him in this old costume is a visual visual indicator that it didn't work because presumably if he were if it did work, he would still be in the Manhattan costume. Um, but I just think it's funny that while he just keeps like randomly the page before he's running in the Manhattan costume and then, then he's sitting there in his rebirth costume. It's just funny that he has to go through the, all these different configurations uh, and Poor they kind of don't, Poor they don't guy. even talk about it. You know, it yeah. just kind of happens. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, while he says, I don't think it worked. Diana knows, no, it didn't. And it's because that, Dang, darkest night. Uh, <laughs> this is such a dumb explanation too for what he did. He rigged the Mobius chair to just redirect the crisis power to him somehow. When he did that or how he did that, who knows? Doesn't matter. It's a it's a dumb event comic, right? Um, but now he has the power. He has the crisis energy. 
and he can re- remake the multiverse in his own image. Uh, and he ho- now holds in his hand the power to make the last 52. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so dumb, but I love it. Yeah, it's, it is the perfect kind of dumb, right? Yeah. I I love it except for the fact that next month we're gonna we're gonna have to read a one shot that's an anthology series of like some of these last fifty two worlds, and I I'm not I'm not banking on it you know I'm not no, yeah I'm not I'm not counting on it. Uh, <laughs> Isn't uh, is that the one that has Mark Wade though? Um, no, I kind of think the Mark Wade one. You might be right. I'd have to check, but I kind of thought that was one of the ones coming out in December. Um, there are so many different uh, of yeah of these one shots. It's hard to there, remember. There are now. So the the one in December. Um, I believe there's two is, in December. There is. Yeah. There's the Lobo one, and then there's the Multiverse Who Laughs. Which uh, <laughs> no, this is not the Mark Wade one. Okay. Um, December is going to be a good month for death metal. November, we'll wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. where that's where this ends. Uh, generally, what do we think of this issue? I I thought it was good. Yeah, I I, I liked it. Um, I think like. Again, compared, it's just weird to say, but compared to a lot of these tie-ins, it feels kind of slight. Yeah, yeah. I feel like more happened for sure in uh, one of the books we're going to talk about after the break than happened in this issue. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird to say. I mean, that doesn't, you know, the amount of stuff that happens or whatever doesn't determine whether it's good or not, but. Yeah, I just can't. It's we. It's weird. I can't shake the feeling that like. I again, I think it feels slight because we read all three of those tie-in issues last month. Uh-huh. Um, I think really the only the meat of this issue are the scenes with Wonder Woman and and Prime Superboy Prime. Yeah, which is like a total of maybe like four or five pages out of the whole issue. Um roundabout maybe more maybe it's like six or seven i don't know it's like a third of the issue um and the rest i think kind of feels like fluff to me but those scenes are really really good and i think with this being the middle point of the series it's a good pivot point it's a good you know it it, i think it works really well and i think it's a good issue it looks really good it's just i i agree that it feels just a little slight yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it's a bad issue at all. I, I think that what's happening is that we're starting to get a better picture of what death metal is going to be, like as mm-hmm. as it as it moves towards its end game. And I think that the good news of that is there's a lot of really fun stuff coming. The bad news of that is there's stuff like Robin King. So I feel like the issues from now on are going to be less um, exploratory in terms of like finding what the series is about, and is more just. Snyder executing that idea, or those ideas rather, some of which are rather bad ideas. Yeah. But I suppose we'll see. Mm -hmm. So let's do this. Let's take a break. 
And when we return, we're going to talk about the two one-shots from this month, as well as the two issues of Justice League. So stay tuned. Hey, we're Panels in Motion, a monthly podcast where we read a comic, watch its movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. We focus on a wide variety of non-superhero comics. One month will be an American independent comic like The Mask or Kingsman. The next will be a European comic like Persepolis or Tintin. And the next will be a Japanese manga like Lone Wolf and Cub or Silent Voice. I'm a writer. I'm a director. And I'm a cinematographer. So we all have different perspectives on why an adaptation might or might not work. We're also a show where a discussion of Middle East education or the sexual revolution can take place alongside a discussion of the pros and cons of Jim Carrey's face. There is truly something for everyone. So check us out. Go subscribe to Panels in Motion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And follow us at Panels in Motion on Twitter and Instagram. See you soon. And we are back, and we're going to talk about... Should we do Robin King first? I guess that's what, the order in which it came out, right? So we should do Robin King first. So uh, Death Metal, Robin King, written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. And we are we are big Riley Rosmo fans on this show. And if it wasn't for Rosmo's art... This would have been an absolutely unreadable experience. I don't know how much you guys want to get into this issue. I don't have a ton to say about this. Basically, it is the origin of the Robin King mixed in with like this these sort of framing devices of the Robin King attacking some heroes, uh, mainly the Trinity, but we also see him not just attack but destroy uh, Firestorm, um, which is in a flashback. And then in the present day, we see him destroy Animal Man, Red Tornado, and uh, Blue Beetle. And the the origin just makes no sense. He, he basically, on one hand, you're supposed to think that he is... His origin is the same as Batman's, except he killed his parents. And instead of becoming a bat, he becomes a Robin. Okay, I can I can sort of buy that. But there's all this stuff where he says, like, no more bats, just Robins. What the fuck is he talking about? There's no Batman on his planet. How does he know that there are all these bats everywhere? Like, what does that even mean in the context of this story? It means nothing. <laughs> and why what, are there what, why are there bat family characters? I mean, are there bat family characters in his I don't think so. I don't think, I don't so, think we no. see any. Yeah, we don't see any. <laughs> But what I guess is the not. message yeah. of this? What is the message of this book? Well, so I, I just want to. Yeah, the, 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 that's an interesting question, Zach. What were you going to say? Continue that. There's, there's just this. There's a lot of um, kind of, you know, third person omniscient narration in this book, talking about what Robin King is thinking, and there's this one set of narration boxes in particular where it's talking about how. Um, he he's wanting someone to see him and to 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 see the hope that he feels and brings um and there's like this this meta almost kind of meta textual narration where he's saying there are no children left on this world to see him but across worlds and windows i.e panels uh there are many children who can watch him and he says i'm not here to win you over i'm not here to cage you i'm here to show you that you can do this you can kill the old you can eat their bones you can burn their world and it's like he's basically he's basically kylo ren saying uh you know uh kill the past 
but but this is coming from Peter Tomasi, who is you know emblematic of kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's not Dan Jurgens, but he is like maybe one generation removed, you know, in terms of like comics. Uh, it's just weird. It's really weird. I don't I don't get it. I mean, this is this is the grim, dark, edgelord stuff. Brian, you correctly you correctly said that earlier that death metal is is dark without being grim, dark, and I think that's true. It's it's dark in that lots of uh, bad things are happening to our heroes, and the and the world itself is um, you know, a a dark vision of a possible future, but within that, there's lots of humor and fun and and you know some hope and. And it, it it doesn't feel oppressively dark, uh, even though the the in story world is supposed to be, you know. And I think right, that that's right. I think that's enjoyable to read. This though, or anything to do with the Robin King, is just miserably grim dark, you know. Um, impossibly so. <laughs> yeah, impossibly so. And I I know that that's the point, but it's not, man. When you're making when you're making fun of or not even making fun of, but like when you're playing up, if that's what they're doing, if they're playing up like how dark a Batman concept can get, um, it doesn't really work for me when it when it revels in being the type of thing that people who like grim dark stuff like. You know what I mean? Like it's yes. not really winking at it. It's taking it to its extreme, but it's not really saying like, "Man, this is miserable," you know? Right. It's kind of delighting in it, which is just not not for me at all. Well, I have sort of a bigger like meta problem with this too, which is that I I understand that so much of metal and death metal has been about these alternate Batman. And, and, and I, I respect that as a vision, right? I, I get that there's an artistic vision behind that, but why would you tell the story of another Bruce Wayne, but call him a Robin? Doesn't that kind of undercut like the thesis of every world has a Batman, except this one that has a Robin. <laughs> it just seems to sort of go against one of like the general multiverse or dark multiversal theses. Um, and it also, I feel like, trust me, I don't want this. I'm going to say something that's like a relatively cursed statement, so I'm just warning you guys. But like, shouldn't, shouldn't there be a dark version of Robin if there's a dark version of Batman? So wouldn't this have been a better served story if, if it was the dark Dick Grayson of some... Uh, of some planet like i i don't want to read that i really don't want to read that so but we see here all of the all the robins of the dark multiverse are being turned into groblins and the only one who can survive the groblin process is actually a robin a bruce, who is bruce, bruce wade right exactly just yeah it, it just it, it's it's such it's such garbage it's just such garbage and zach you hinted at this in in our last segment I really think this is that this whole speech about hope is setting him up to be like to have the face turn at the end of this. 
Or maybe, maybe it was Vince. Vince, I think you said he's going to kill the Batman who laughs, right? No, no, that was Zach. That was Zach. Okay, yeah. I I definitely agree. I think that this that he's going to be the one to, to kill the Batman who laughs, and he's going to have the moment where he's going to basically say, like, this is going to undo my reality, but it's worth it. Like, he he's going to have that... Um, this is a reference neither of you will get, but I'm going to say it anyway. He's going to have that Frankenstein's monster falling into the black hole at the end of the Monster Squad moment. Um, <laughs> and it's just... It, b- because they need... I feel like there needs to be some sort of retribution, uh, redemption for this character because we, we've it's been set up that he's so dark, but he still has hope. And I don't want to read that story. I but really I don't, don't even know what he's hopeful for, honestly. Like what he, he he's hopeful for the idea of of being able to uh, to kill your heroes, essentially. Yeah, but that's not. Yeah, I just don't understand. It's not good. I don't I don't get how that connects to I don't get how that connects to hope. <laughs> I don't get how that's I don't know. I think hope is the wrong word. I I think what he's trying to say is like to, to he he sees himself as an aspirational tale for children all over the world that like you can throw off the shackles of of what's expected of you or of those that came before and you can forge your own path. And that's fine, but He's also a terrible character, who no one would ever want to follow. <laughs> this is a bad. I don't know. There are there are a lot of goblins who want to follow him. Crow. Crow. Oh, man, ah, I just hate talking about this. Yeah, this is this is a very bad comic, guys. This is a uh, this is a cursed comic. Um, so there is a backup to this, which I'm scrolling over to get to right now. And the backup features a character that I know he's been appearing in Batman and the Outsiders, but I have not been reading Batman and the Outsiders. So it was interesting for me to to see this character and to spend some time with him. Else. It stars Duke Thomas, a.k.a. The Signal. Uh, when was the last time you guys checked in on Batman and the Outsiders? Uh, I'm current on it. Are you really? How How is I'm it? A, I'm a good boy. It's very good. Is it? I, I've been wanting good. to catch up. It ended on a on a very high note, a, a fantastic final issue, One, wonderful, superb even. Okay, well that's good. Do you even just skip ahead and read the last issue, the very final one. Okay, so uh, this uh, this backup is called the Quiet Ones. It's written by Tony Patrick and illustrated by Daniel Sampier. and we see the Signal fighting against. What is the name of this Batman? Do we remember? Uh, quietus, the quietus, quietus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gr- great indie music blog. Which yes, exactly. <laughs> which I I think we've seen him before, and I thought that he was like a chemo Batman. Yes, yes but he's but he's he's, it's even better than that. Yeah, why don't you tell us what he is there, Vincey? He's a Lazarus Pit Batman. He is, he, but he's a Lazarus Pit. But who are the three people that make up like his? His Lazarus Pit DNA. Who are? Oh, who I don't are his... know. I didn't. I didn't he, write that down. Uh, that is uh, Batman, Rachel Ghoul, and the Signal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like they they kill each other. Batman and Rachel Ghoul basically kill each other and fall into the Lazarus Pit. And Duke is there also, and and he. I don't know if he falls in or if he basically says he was he was like touched by Duke, and so he has some of Duke's powers, and so he's he's just 
he's he's doing the super villain thing of explaining his origin um and then duke is trying to stop him realizes that he he can't do it by himself but he doesn't have to because who shows up it's his pals it's tim drake it is i believe that's supposed to be uh orphan even though it doesn't quite look like the cast we know and love and spoiler and they take down the quietus and uh yeah they're they're uh they're not really a team but they're acting as a team and it doesn't it doesn't say we're going to see this team again although i would like to see i mean we've been talking about this for a while this you know batgirls book slash birds of prey book just make this the team man Mm-hmm. Throw Bluebird in there, and I'm really happy. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing in the issue is just a like uh, a two page thing about the history of voting in the United States, which <laughs> like it's it's Fruit very ran in every issue. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but I wanted to talk about it for two reasons. Um, okay. First of all, I think it's a very well intentioned thing, right? Like, it is good to vote. Everyone should be voting. I also think it's good that they used. Um, Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz for the art because their art is great. And reading this just reminded me of being a little kid. I feel like this would have definitely been in an issue that came out like during the H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Ross Perot election, <laughs> this type of a thing. Um, and they quote John Lewis, so it can't be all bad. Yeah. Uh, any final Robin King thoughts? I, I have a final thought about this backup okay. that's going to come into play when we get to Justice League. Okay. I should not be as hung up on this as I am, but the cognitive dissonance of why all of these characters are just wearing their normal costumes when everybody <laughs> in Justice League has to have these ridiculous doom metal costumes that are that's played up even more by the fact that uh, Corey and Vic are going to walk through a portal and when they, on one side, they have their normal clothes. And then when they get to Doom Metal Land, they all, they immediately change appearance. And it's like, it's like freaking Kingdom Hearts where they go to the Nightmare Before Christmas Land and they have to look spooky. <laughs> That's what it's like. Absolutely. And it, it just breaks my brain. I, I, I gonna, hate it. <laughs> I was going to say, it seems like in between walking to that panel, uh, Corey got a job as, um, as Chris Claremont's assistant. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah. I gratefully do not. He uh, Apparently, Chris Claremont used to... Uh, uh, it's okay. Yeah. We don't have to. <laughs> we don't have to do I was, it. I wasn't going to say it. I was just going to gonna hint at it there. But, uh, um, I'll tell you when you're 18, Vince. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but I hate it. Um, Which is weird, because I would think you'd like that. No, I wish that that it was either one or the other. Hmm. I get that this is a like eight page backup in a inconsequential one shot, but it just it just bothers me. Yeah. All right, so so let's get to the the Gabagool here. Let's get to uh-huh. Dark Knight's Death Metal: Rise of the New God, number one, written by James Tynion the Fourth, illustrated by Jesus Marino. Um. So. <laughs> In a in a series that has introduced like basically every like composite character in DC's 
world, we kind of get another composite character to act as the um, as the like narrator for this issue. So, is this a new character? The um, I what's his name? I think it's it's the Cosmic Ghost Rider. <laughs> but, but, but what is his name in the issue? He's call, he, he calls himself um. Uh, um I, I keep wanting to say the, Harbinger. Uh, no, the Chronicler. Chronicler. The, the Chronicler. Yeah, uh-huh. This is a new character, right? I think. I think so. Yeah. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. He basically looks like every '90s character mushed into one. Uh, he almost he's... looks like like an anti monitor monitor character i yeah i don't know it's weird yeah it's just it's it's a very weird it's a very weird look but basically this this dude the chronicler walks around the dying multiverses and collects information about them for the omniverse which who first introduced the other was is that a snyder creation I mean, if it was it was it always part of the Overvoid, which was a uh, which is the that Morrison, was a Morrison. right? I don't know, but regardless, I think the Omniverse is a Snyder creation because I think it has to do with the whole Perpetua mythology of how mm. you know we just have these increasing scales Scale. of cosmic beings, you know? Right, right, yeah. So the the Chronicler is is going through creation, and he finds himself on, in the former. Uh, <laughs> I almost said the former Yugoslavia, the former Themyscira, which is the hellscape, and um, he is trying to find out what sort of the multiverse was all about. And he finds the Psycho Pirate, and the Psycho Pirate shares with him basically his memories of the multiverse. And we get this splash page <laughs> that I may or may not have emailed Jesus Marino's art rep about buying if it's for sale. Um, and oh. it is it is the chronicler reading a book, the code or rather writing in his book, the Codex Omniverse, and he says, "Oh, oh my!" Like he's like he's George Takei, and it is this incredible image. We get the Justice Society. Around the, the the round table, we get a vision of the Justice League. We get James Tynion's Batman <laughs> uh, run. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, Detective like Comics run, rather. Yeah, his Detective Comics yeah. run. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get uh, Wonder Woman. We get the Golden Age Superman, and then who's flanking the Chronicler? My two favorite characters in all of comics: Jack Knight, Starman. Kyle Rayner. <laughs> Happy for you, boo. Oh, you. James, you mad lad. Yeah, this is uh this is the good shit. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is the really good shit. Like I I I just think it's wild. Wild. I mean, uh, Tanya wrote this issue, so I get why his Detective Comics run is in there. But I think it's wild that if you have to sum up like the multiverse of the first eighty years of DC Comics, the the like top five characters that you feature, two of them are Jack Knight and Kyle Rayner. It's wild. I love it. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. It represents the best of all of us. Thank you, James. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, that's that's the way it is. Uh, so after that. He uh, he sort of he, he discards the psycho pirate 
and he moves on and basically not much really happens in this issue we see perpetua and the darkest night are fighting but it doesn't really mean anything it's just this like it's just god's fighting there's no real I don't want to say stakes to it because I guess the universe is a stake, but it just feels like it's very much going on in the background while the chronicler walks around. And so he, he finds himself in the presence of Vril Docs, um, and he reads his mind, and the things that Vril shows him is basically just like the cosmic DC stuff. So we see the Green Lantern Corps, we see Adam Strange, we see Brainiac, we see... Is that supposed to be Mongol? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we see Krypton exploding. Yes, I mean, Krypton exploding in the background and Superman's rocket uh, sort of shooting out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Chronicler is basically saying, like, he's basically a kid reading a comic book. And he's saying, like, this stuff is so dope. How come <laughs> how come no one is reading this? Essentially is what he's saying. Um he literally says, This is a place of heroes and villains of cosmic fairy tales that should go on forever. Like he he is he is a little kid at the comic shop. Um and um, I, I love it. It's funny that Vril Dox is here because do you you guys remember how he was supposed to be like a big part of Justice League Odyssey? Yeah. Um he was in No Justice and everything. Yes. It's funny to see see Tynan return to him um, for this issue. Um, oh, what could have been? Who knows? Yeah. Um, so then he leaves. We get another shot of Perpetua and Darkest Night. Uh, just, you know, whatever. And then he goes to the... He's He's walking on the moon here, like the police, am I right? Uh, and he reaches down into the dust and he pulls out a skull. Now, this is super reminiscent of another moment in DC history, which is uh, from Green Lantern number 49, where Hal Jordan finds Kilowog's skull, and basically it's the moment that like makes him realize he done fucked up. That's when Parallax... The, like, the reality of Parallax... And it, it, it's it's a very similar scene to this just like visually just how it sort of plays out nothing that happens in the scene is similar but it reminds me of that issue quite a bit um and it's the skull of metron and he says wake up metron um and he basically <laughs> makes metron show him uh i, I guess not really show him he just he's, he's just sort of using metron as like as like a sounding board and basically saying like help, help me talk this through boo What's going on here? Why am why is this universe so special? Or multiverse so special? And at the end of it, he he basically says he well. First of all, the the, the, the chronicler basically makes a nut face while reading this comic again, and says he believes in the universe. He believes in these characters, and in that belief, they become eternal. And that's where the issue ends. And so. I'm interested to, t- to see what your take on that last page is. Because I have two conflicting thoughts about it. But first, I want to hear what you guys think. Just about the last page? But the last, this whole, like, last section. Oh, okay. Um, I, I honestly, 
I'm trying to even remember like what their conversation was about. It was kind of just more of the same of yeah, the whole issue, which exactly, is that yeah. like that like comics are good and we should cherish them. Um, which is which is fine. I, I think you're right. Not a lot happens in this issue, but it's just such a fun like treatise to the history of DC Comics. Um, and I like this character. Um, the chronicler and kind of what he represents um i'm hoping he does some cool stuff in death metal proper which it seems like he it seems like he will unless he's going to be a character that's featured in um those last two anthology books that are kind of come out in december mm-hmm. um those two the, the big like 80 pagers um I, I could see him maybe showing up just in those rather than in death metal proper but um yeah i don't know vince what'd you think of this 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 stuff Uh, i like it but it's just you know it's more of the same like i mean it's a lot it's very much the same that thing that diana has been saying basically you know like every oh everything matters every story matters uh the you know it's just a different version of that because basically what they keep saying is well, I guess we we can never die, and the multiverse can never die, because people are reading this, and people are you know, it's very meta in that like, Chronicler gets Metron to realize that someone out there is remembering heroes, and as long as that happens, the multiverse will never die. But really, what he's saying is you know like. And I think that this was this was written too uh, late, probably, to comment on the upheaval at DC. I would think, but it really does remind me of like the way that people talk about whether they're going to continue to publish comics or not. You know, and, and to to me, it it very much whether it's talking about that specific issue or not, it's very much evoking this idea that like, well, these characters and these stories will always be around because there will always be people who are interested in them and want to write them so they can never really die. So maybe I'm alone in this. I got major convergence vibes from this because I don't know if you guys remember there was a, I, I, I tried to look it up today, but it was surprisingly hard to find. Maybe I'm misremembering this, but there was like a video trailer for Convergence when it was announced that was narrated by Dio, and he he uses he used the phrase "everything counts" or "everything matters" or "everything happened." I think it was "everything happened," maybe, um, and it was like this. We all took it to be like, "Oh shit, they're bringing everything back." But it wasn't that at all. It was this like meta textual like, as long as the world believes in heroes, there will always be heroes thing. And uh-huh. so my fear with this issue is that it's not saying is that we're not going to get everything back. In the we're not. I never thought we were getting everything back. My my fear is that the sort of meta textual thing that Diana is saying that we're going to get it all back that we're just going to get it all back, that the history will all be restored. But that, like, characters that died or properties that were mishandled that we thought this would be a soft reboot out of, 
I don't know if we're getting that anymore. No, and I don't. I don't think we. I mean, I. I don't. We have. I feel like we have this conversation every time there's an event, um, and just like that. That is always going to be the tease that that DC uses. I think, you know, mm-hmm. and because and because we want hope that everything will go back to 2006 or 2007 or whatever. Uh, you know, we get we get pulled along because we think like, oh, there's a possibility that we could we could have new Krypton back. You know, there's a possibility that we could. But the reality is that they've really moved on to other. Well, I, I and don't they get they get traction out of reminding us that, yes, these things happened and that's good enough. Sure. And I, I don't really mean or I don't really want to just have like a status quo reset. I don't think right. that I don't think that that fixes anything. I just. I think that there's somehow we are still sort of existing in this world that is not quite the new 52, but is not quite anything else either. And I feel like what I just want at this point is some sort of clarity as to what happened just so that we know like some basic core components of the universe, because I still feel like it's confusing to figure out what happened at DC. I, I don't think we're ever gonna know again. I don't. I think it's. I I think that that ship has sailed. You know, there was like supposedly a, a map of or timeline of everything that they did at the beginning of the New Fifty Two that was never released. Yeah, we it's had, in Dan DiDio's basement, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and then there was the DiDio timeline for 5G that we're never going to see again. Like, there have been so many opportunities to get that kind of thing. I just don't think that's what they're interested in. I think they're going to, like, just vaguely reference things. I think, essentially, I think everything happened in until we were told that it didn't or until something contradicts. Or, you know, I think it's all just... I think I think it's just loose and that's fine. I honestly think that works best for DC at this point. I feel like they're pretty comfortable with just letting writers reference whatever they want and just like work off their own head cannons. I think it's just really loose and and that's fine. See, I'm I'm fine with that if if good stories are being told through that. Well, I think right now there are some. There are some right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah i didn't like this issue as much as multiverse's end but there's a lot there's some good stuff in it. yeah and, and there's a little there's a little connector to, to, to multiverse's yeah, end here at the end yeah a little stinger at the end yeah there's a, a brian hill written backup with nick varela a really nice pairing of writer and artist i love the art nick varela's art and this is is really really nice and we mm-hmm. see the the sort of earth green lanterns all talking about how they have to put their willpower together to try and get their to get their ship home and they get there and they they get to earth but it's too late because the darkest night is there but then we get a great scene with John Stewart talking to passengers we don't really see who they are yet he says we promise you a return home we failed to deliver on that because our home has changed i won't promise to save you i promise we'll give you the power to save yourselves our power the light of the green lanterns so my question to you is after you have it what are you going to do and john stewart is offering his ring to 
the, the the heroes of the multiverse, some of whom we saw in Multiverse's End, and some of which I don't know if we've seen before. Did we see the um, the Batwoman from uh, uh, Bombshells, Bombshells in that issue? I don't no. believe so. And I don't think Bombshells has ever been incorporated into like the 52 Earth structure. Really? I think this is a first. Yeah, I don't think... Yes. I don't think it has it's not in the guidebook it's it's not which which means you know what's next gotham city garage baby (laughs) (laughs) wacky race land (laughs) (laughs) oh god wacky race land uh this is a hell of a way to end the issue Mm -hmm. super fun yeah really good I love that they have the Savage Dragon, the DC Savage Dragon analog in there. Yep. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I love, if nothing else, I love that at least like once a year, DC trucks out a story that is centric on the multiverse and like Justice Incarnate characters. Um that's that's the best. That's the DC Gabagool to me, is just having like panels like this. Yeah, I wish it had. I wish it could be more than once a year. I I kind of don't. I think it makes it special. Um. Although I mean, if there was a book, that's if I'm there was like about. a Justice Incarnate book, I would be all over that. I don't know who I would. I want. I want Tynan to write it. Actually, I do know who I want. All right, well, that's the the two one-shots for this month. Uh, Zach, you're going to walk us through the two issues of Justice League. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton to say about these issues. Um, The first issue is essentially just about the team. Um, So Corey and Vic show up from Justice League Odyssey. If you read that book, they're here now. And um, Corey is dressed like Storm from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And Vic has a... Um, <laughs> like a, I, a Fu Manchu mustache, kind of? <laughs> yeah, kind of, because he... Because the, the way his face works, where there's, like, metal, there's only, like, so much real estate for facial hair to grow. So the effect is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, it's just... Um, this this first issue is them kind of going through the wasteland. They they leave Lex because they don't trust him and end up going through this valley of sorrows and they they kind of get sucked into this nightmare world, which which is kind of a fun sequence. The you know we see Dick uh, he wakes up and it's uh, right after he was shot by KGBs and but the bullet just scraped him and Alfred and Babs are there and they kind of regress through their different costumes and and kind of go back in time it's it's a fun sequence um lex comes to save them uh leading to the next issue which is uh lex and dick trying to free everyone from the starros which they do and um lex has a ship that he's built from the remains of the metal men and they take the ship to uh where um uh, Perpetuous Throne is, um, but the what? What's the Bat Batman Martian Manhunter? What's his name? Mind Mind, mind something. Hunter. Mind Hunter. Mind no, Hunter. no, no. That's a, that's a TV that's show. That's a TV show. The uh, Mind. Uh... I think that's right, though. 
You think it is the Mindhunter? Okay. It is, Uh, yeah, starring Jonathan Groff. Okay, (laughs) sure. Um, Yeah, so the the evil Martian Manhunter Batman knows that they're there because he can sense um, Kendra's mind, and that uh, alerts the Omega Knight to them, and the the second issue ends uh, with the Omega Knight seemingly killing uh, Lex Dick cyborg and star sapphire not star sapphire starfire Starfire. (laughs) uh yeah so uh these issues were fine there's a lot of good uh character beats um especially i think in the first issue where they're where they're walking along and cyborg and starfire are kind of very like uh lackadaisical and like uh just very chill about everything that's going on because of their experience in justice league odyssey um and i mean there's yeah there's just it's really good seeing these characters together again having dick and and cory together again is is good um there's a really nice moment between the two of them where she says to dick that he has a new scar and he says he was shot in the head by kg beast and her eyes go like start glowing and she says where is he just uh-huh. a very, uh, just a very nice like familial yeah. moment. You can do that with Starfire, but you can't do it with Superman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you get the reference? Do mm-hmm. I? Never mind. Did you guys not see that big t- Twitter controversy like last week where people were mad about I'm, like? I'm not on there, so I. Yeah, but you hear, you see, you see people talk about it. It um, didn't make it to Farmers Only, I guess. Okay. Okay, what, everybody what was, was every, I can't even remember who started it, but there there was some comic writer who was basically like you shouldn't have Superman like expressing anger by having his heat vision flare up that it's just kind of antithetical to the character. Um and basically a bunch of you know, uh, a bunch of people got mad at that creator for that take, which a lot of the bad people got mad at that. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I wish I could remember who it was who started that. It's all right. I'm better off not knowing. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just the most online of the DC3 cast now. I guess so. I guess so, yeah. You're an e-boy. I am. Um, so one of my favorite moments from these issues was uh, Detective Chimp, is he takes the longest to sort of get out of the nightmare that he's in and he's having a conversation with his friend Daniel who gave him the sword you know who's uh what's his name nightmaster Jim Rook yes i think so it's Jim Rook nightmaster yeah and um when dick pulls him out and talks to him he's like you you know why would you please why would you do that what's better about this nightmare than that nightmare and I just thought this this series has done an interesting job of sort of breaking Bobo down, and I feel like Williamson has a nice beat there with him. It's 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 a well written sequence, um, but these issues are I mean they're fine, but they're not. There's nothing super interesting going on here, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it feels pretty inconsequential, but it's but nonetheless, there's there's good character moments, so. There is, yeah. It's, it's been enjoyable to read. Yeah. Um. So we are we are now like past the halfway point for Death Metal. We have November and December, and the last issue comes out on the f- on the first day of Future State. 
That's going to be a big fucking day, by the way. Um, oh, my. Yeah. But ha- how are you feeling about death metal at the, like, two-thirds mark? I think it's pretty good. I, I mean... I it's 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 been enjoyable. I've been enjoying it more than reading most of the events that we've been visiting for crisis management. Um like it's no it's no 1 million or 52, but definitely better than the average event that we've been reading for that. I think if I have to compare it to something uh in real time. I wonder if that's just because it's new to you. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking about a lot of the events that I didn't even hit the first time. Well, I mean, it's better than guerrilla warfare, but you know, it's better um, than guerrilla warfare. It's better than invasion and all that stuff. Don't be talking against DC Cosmic. Zach's gonna get mad. Hmm. This is pretty cosmic. This is pretty cosmic. You're right. Um, no, I, I I think it's been a lot of fun so far. I think that this is this definitely feels. I was worried when this was gonna when this was announced that it was gonna feel like a lesser version of metal, but I like this way better than I like metal. Oh, this is yeah, this is much better than metal uh, by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Zach, what do you think uh, of this at this point? This is this is really good. I was texting you guys this week um, about how just how good death metal is has kind of cheered me uh, and improved my estimation of the whole Snyder Tynan Justice League run, mm-hmm. um, which I, I wouldn't say that I had been down on, but I was maybe a little lukewarm on. But kind of looking back at the the payoff that we're getting on some things and, and tracking everything from, you know, the start of metal into justice league now into death metal. And it's actually a really satisfying, um, I guess kind of like three arc story when you go back and look at it. So, um, yeah, yeah. I I, I believe you said it was flawless. I don't think I said that. No, you said, you said it's, you can't criticize it. I don't think I said that. I could have, but I don't think I said that. I think I I had some criticisms, and you said every one of these is invalid. No, I <laughs> think um, I no. You brought up the infected stuff, and I said that didn't happen in Justice League. Uh, that that was that may be what you're referring to. And you said, and actually, that was good too. No, <laughs> stop, stop. Why are you trying to assassinate me on the podcast? <laughs> because I hate myself. <laughs> well, I love you, so. Thanks. And I know that if you assassinated me on the podcast, you would just resurrect me. <laughs> Krakoa style. Hey, wrong, wrong company, mister. He threw you into a Lazarus pit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's wrong. bad. That's all, That's always bad, though. That's we, not good. We, we gotta bleep that out, Brian. We gotta. We can't oh, be mentioning Kr- Krakoa on Krakoa? this. Krakoa, Krakoa. <laughs> Ten of I'm... Swords. Ten of Swords is only okay. I'm doing enough editing on this episode as it is. I don't need to do any more. 
Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. We appreciate it. Next week, we'll be back with our, our look at the second half of the Sinestro Core War. And uh, until then, if you get, if, blah, 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 if you have to get in touch with us, uh, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. Immortal Hulk. <laughs> Nell is coming. <laughs> I'm at Hulker Fox. <laughs> I was wondering how many of those you were gonna you were gonna go through before I'd have to try and like keep going. I was gonna have to push through and say he's Wilker Fox, but but you 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 fell on your own sword there, so I appreciate that. Um, if you need to find Vince, he is frantically searching farmers only to find that thread Zach was talking about about the Superman eyes thing. I can't find it. It's like it's been <sighs> from the internet. I don't know. I think it takes about twenty one days for things from Twitter to get to farmers only. So yeah. he'll, be, he'll be looking for a little while. But. I don't I don't even remember what you're talking about, so it's gonna be hard to look for it then. I'll fill you in later. Anyway, thanks for listening folks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Do you remember who played Mr. Scream in Wind's World 2? No. Uh oh what the fuck is his name? Jefferson from Married with Children. What's his name? <laughs> oh, um, Fuck, what's his name? Oh, hang on. I will pull this because he's. So will I. He was on Happy Days. Yeah, he's always the guy that comes in. Comes in after um... the show gets bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Tom. Tom... Hang on. (sighs) Tom Ted. Ted 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 McGinley. McGinley.